Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello there and welcome to the episode. Today I'm joined by Thomas and Antonio from German deployables company, Deployables Cube. Deployables Cube creates actuators and deployable mechanisms and, and other, other similar technologies for a, a wide range of missions and a wide range of different form factors and, and application areas. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the use of deployable solar arrays, specifically for CubeSats. So um, uh, Thomas, Antonio, thank you very much for being here today. Is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? Yeah, we are very excited uh, to also be in the podcast again. And it's a very uh, perfect time for us because we p- just passed the MRR, the Manufacturer's Readiness Review of our big uh, solar array and now gearing up for uh, the testing and then preparing the flight mission. So uh, perfect timing. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. Great, thank you. Well, um, yeah, we can get into hopefully some of those uh, details. Um, firstly, I think I'd like to set the scene and ask what um, what sort of bottlenecks do CubeSat teams face that make you know make a case for for using a high power uh, deployable solar array solution, and maybe what an overview of what sort of missions and teams do you see adopting such technology for their own uses? Yeah, the thing is with uh, the new space uh, transition, as I mentioned uh, also uh, in the other podcast, is that. Yeah, we are getting into building more and more uh, satellites um, that have a standardized uh, size and therefore they can be launched uh, cheaply, built cheaply within just a couple of weeks. But uh, when we are going uh, up into space, we normally need uh, bigger structures. And one of these key um, areas is uh, to have enough uh, power for um, standard uh, computers to run these advanced uh, missions. Uh, one uh, nice example is that's why we also are working on uh, PowerCube is uh, the need for power in communication. So building up uh, IoT application in space, but also uh, space-to-space and space-to-ground uh, communication requires uh, quite a lot of energy. And therefore, we need deployable solar arrays because the area that we have available on the CubeSat is not uh, sufficient anymore. Other applications we uh, clearly see in uh, electrical uh, propulsion because uh, we see more and more uh, thrusters coming out that require quite some uh, kilowatts of power and that they can uh, run uh, continuously. We need uh, big solar arrays to generate uh, power. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, a piece of technology that is as complex as this in the space environment will have required you to bring together a few different areas of of innovation, essentially. I wondered, Antonio, if you could give us an overview of what those areas are that that are making high-power deployable solar arrays a viable option for the sorts of missions that you've just mentioned. Yeah, sure. Uh, so when we started working on our uh, high-power solar array development, uh, PowerCube, 
we quickly realized that uh, conventional architectures weren't working for us uh, because normally when you have uh, you know a standard off the shelf uh, solar arrays for cubesats you end up with uh, foldable panels that are injured together uh, but that only gives you about 20 maybe 50 watt of power but then we were aiming for 100 watts and we realized we really had to rethink entirely the way to build it because otherwise it would have been too big and uh, too difficult to maneuver for the, uh, for the satellite. So we had, uh, first of all, to use uh, quite advanced uh, deployable architectures. So instead of having these foldable panels in one dimension, uh, we are using now origami structures. And using origamis, we can basically create an approximately square area and we can sew it in a, in a cube. And in addition to that, uh, we also needed advanced materials. Uh, so in particular, our solar array is uh, self-supported uh, by a carbon fiber reinforced structure where we are using a dual matrix composite. So basically it's a type of structure that we can build all at once. So there are no mechanical articulations and it's very rigid uh, where the solar cells are mounted. And it's also very flexible along the uh, folding pattern of the origami. And basically by combining these two, uh, these two components, so uh, origami architectures on one side and advanced composites on the other, we achieve very high packaging efficiency uh, for our structure, which enables up to 100 watt or even more uh, power on a, on a simple uh, 3U uh, CubeSat. Brilliant. So advanced materials and uh, an innovative method of uh, storing and deploying them. <laughs> really interesting. And you mentioned the power rate in there being you know, a lot higher than what is typically is often produced by the solar panels in a CubeSat. But with, with that amount of power being produced, that needs to be managed in the small volume of a CubeSat, a 1U, 3U, 12U, whatever it is. Do you foresee any challenges, in, particularly in thermal management, that need to be solved alongside the development of the arrays themselves? Yeah, uh, of course, like, thermal management becomes really critical uh, when you start developing high-power satellites. And if you think about it, even if CubeSats have uh, relatively limited power, the power density that you get, it's a lot more than big communication satellites, which means you are generating, you're dissipating a lot of more, more power for the same volume. Uh, so the way we are tackling this problem on PowerCube is to thermally decouple it uh, from the satellite. So basically the heat that we generate doesn't get uh, conveyed uh, to the subsystems. Uh, but at the same time, of course, it's going to be a problem for the, uh, for the CubeSat users. And especially like uh, normally they have a very uh, power-hungry payload. It could be, for example, an electric thruster. It could be an LED or a laser for communications or just a PCB. And in that case, you will, they will generate a lot of power that needs to be dissipated. And for this reason, we started uh, recently working on a passive deployable radiator, which is not going to be part of PowerCube, but it will be sort of an add-on that could be placed exactly where a customer needs it. And it's going to be sort of a passive design uh, that you can simply deploy uh, next to the uh, power generating component and helps you uh, radiate uh, it away. Dealing with the power and the thermal issues are as important as the amount of power you can generate, of course. And you see, we see trending topics in the, in the uh, industry where subsystem manufacturers or, or the satellite integrators are looking at both areas. They're, they want to use more innovative payload, as you said, power-hungry payloads. And in order to do that, they need to, A, create an architecture that's that's efficient so that they can reduce the power consumption that maybe they've had previously and b be able to produce more power um 
so that's great. But but obviously this is the space sector. So um, the heritage, the space heritage of the component of the system is always going to be very important. Thomas, you mentioned some of this in the in the beginning, but Antonio, what's the the roadmap for getting the space heritage for PowerCube, and what kind of assuming you know everything goes well, bringing it to market, what kind of customization options are you going to be able to offer within that space heritage envelope? Yeah. So uh, as Thomas mentioned before, uh, we recently passed the MRR. So right now we are building our engineering model that we go through all the environmental testing campaign uh, later this summer just to to demonstrate that it's going to, to work as intended in the right environment. And after that, uh, we have an IOD mission planned uh, in uh, 2023. Uh, it's a mission with a Cal Poly uh, in California. And they are basically developing a 3U satellite uh, for a space solar power uh, demonstration. So basically they have this 3U satellite, uh, they have a very powerful LED, and uh, they want to demonstrate uh, energy transfer from space to Earth using uh, light. And of course, for that, they will need our solar array, and they are also developing all the payloads. Uh, we also have a, a propulsion system on board. Uh, so we were awarded a NASA LANA launch uh, for this project. So we basically already have a launch and it's planned, as I mentioned before, uh, for the end of 2023. So we're really excited about that and we're really looking forward uh, to our demo. Yeah, and I think I also want to uh, jump in uh, here um, because uh, one of the things that we want to uh, do uh, quite early on is uh, to get uh, customers uh, involved that could use this technology because uh, only if we uh, make it uh, based on customer requirements, we can be ensured that there's also a market for it. We did it with the uh, actuators, with our selfie stick, and now with the uh, power cube uh, as well. So uh, here's also a call out to uh, anyone that is still interested in uh, flying this uh, technology or needing it, uh, just get in touch with us. Great, thank you. Yeah, and then just to ask about, just as I mentioned, about the customization options that you are intending to offer. Obviously, within, as I say, within the confines of the space heritage you're able to acquire, but also, as Thomas mentioned, based on customer requirements, I guess. Right, of course. Uh, so uh, we have a couple of options in mind. So first of all, the solar array is meant to be scalable, uh, which means that we can adjust uh, the power uh, that we generate to the customer's needs. And then, of, of course, I will say making it smaller, it's very easy, but we can also grow, I would say, up to 20% and more powerful. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we are developing a, a maximum PowerPoint tracking um, uh, PCB as an add-on to our system. Uh, so basically using this, you can basically match the performance of your solar array to the need of your uh, payload, which means basically always getting maximum power from the solar array. Uh, so this will not be part of the main product because uh, sometimes MPPTs are on the uh, electrical power system on the satellite, but we think it's very useful to provide it as an add-on if needed. And in addition to that, uh, we are also thinking of adding some uh, ways to access the top of the satellite for mounting sensors. Uh, because as you can expect, we have this pretty big solar array that is covering entirely the sun. And sometimes people may want sun sensors or other sensors on the top face. And we want to provide a way for people to easily do that. Uh, so this would be, I would say, the main uh, customization options that we have in mind at the moment. But of course, like we're always open 
to feedback uh, from the customers to see what is really interesting for them and if we can actually accommodate uh, additional features. Brilliant. Yeah, the the position in the sunset here obviously is a, a key challenge. So that's uh, great that you're thinking about that. And you mentioned the scalability of the system there, but with the, the PowerCube is stored, I believe, in a 1U for form factor. How do you foresee it being used in larger CubeSats, such as 12U or 16U systems? Particularly, you know, we're thinking, I'm thinking about, you know, balancing out moments of inertia and other such considerations that, that need to be balanced when where payloads are typically stored. Uh, right. So the form factor for PowerCube is naturally like 1U uh, because it's a symmetric structure. So it really needs sort of a square uh, configuration. Now, if you look at the bigger satellite, uh, our suggestion would be always to, to mount it at the center of the back face uh, so that basically you don't get uh, you know, a cross moment of inertia, uh, which means that basically during the accommodation of the, um, of the payloads, you basically have to put the PCBs on the two sides, uh, which is also uh, partially what is done uh, by uh, people already for similar uh, systems. And this basically allows you to balance the moment of inertia. Also, uh, you have to keep in mind that uh, you have this large deployed area, which means that especially if you're flying in low Earth orbit, you basically get quite a bit of drag. And uh, so it makes sense to have the solar array on the back face of the satellite. So it gets naturally perpendicular to the velocity vector along your orbit. So it kind of stabilizes it and also in a way acts as a uh, deorbiting device. I think um, that that was most of the technical questions there. Just maybe a final question to to Thomas first. Obviously, Antonio, feel free to to, to share your thoughts too. But Thomas, what are you most excited about seeing happen in the industry in the next few years? You know, I think uh, Gcubed has been involved in a number of quite interesting missions, and um, there's a lot that you guys are working on because of the nature of the the technology you create is quite you know widely applicable potentially. And yeah, what's next for Gcubed itself? Yeah, I think it's the best uh, time to be in the uh, space industry uh, right now um, since uh, the, the moon era in the uh, 60s because right now we see uh, so much uh, development all over uh, the world and what has been uh, planned over the last uh, years is now coming to uh uh, it's fruitful uh, launch because when you uh, see how many companies are loaned here in Germany, in uh, Europe that are uh, developing launches that are having the possibility of bringing satellites cheaply into space, uh, it will open up so many uh, opportunities for in-orbit demonstration for really uh, exciting uh, missions. Uh, they'll be in low Earth orbit, going to the moon or going to Mars or uh, deep space. And that's the exciting thing of being um, a component and subsystem supplier like uh, Decubed because we are actually on, um, can be part of these exciting missions. So we're not building a constellation where we are just staying in uh, low Earth orbit, but we are uh, supporting the companies that are uh, doing that. They are building up their IoT constellations, their uh, Earth observation constellations. But then we are also uh, part of missions that are um, dropping a rover on the surface of the moon to pre prepare for the next man and the first woman um, on the moon. But then we are also um, having projects where we go into deep space. We are looking at uh, asteroids. And there is much more coming in the next years because a lot of um, companies are out there which are 
looking at more out there uh, business cases. And directly for us, uh, next to the moon mission and the deep space mission, we are very excited for um, actually launching our selfie stick again uh, in October and also then launching uh, PowerCube uh, next year and then also doing some more radiator development and uh, trying to get on uh, much more missions. Our goal at the end is to be to have our products on every space mission to go everywhere where uh, the human race is going into space. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, as you say, I think the analogy with the the micro-launchers technologies is, is really interesting. That's a key enabling part of the industry. And I think um, the sort of work that you guys are doing by enabling small satellites to have uh, increased power and by giving them more functionality through deployable systems. And and yeah, obviously you mentioned the wide applicability of the technologies that you you create to all sorts of different types of missions are, are also enabling factors in themselves. So best of luck with all these missions and um, all the, the progress at the company. And um, thank you very much for sharing today your the, the insights on on the uh, the topics that we discussed. Yeah, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity. It was a great pleasure and I cannot wait for the uh, next time with uh, the new developments that we are doing. Thanks a lot. Absolutely great. Well, thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Antonio. And to all our listeners out there, thank you very much for spending time with us today on the Space Industry Podcast. And um, if you'd like to find out more about uh, Decubed and all the work they're doing, then um, please look out for them on the internet. We'll also share links to um, some of their stat search pages and content on in the show notes. As Thomas mentioned, please do get in touch if you have any uh, potential uh, use cases or ideas to discuss how the use of greater power solar array uh, technologies could be implemented in your own services or missions. And um, we will speak to you very soon on the Space Industry Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store or whichever podcast service you typically use. 